Support for Petri Dish is made possible by UT Health San Antonio, committed to transforming the health of the community through a team that tackles problems from every angle, doing everything it takes to bring each patient the best possible outcomes, from teaching tomorrow's healthcare leaders to translating research into new treatments. UT Health San Antonio strives to make lives better. Learn more at everythingittakes.org. On Thursday, April 12, 1945, just before 6 p.m. Eastern Time, so right around dinner time, the show Wilderness Road was on the radio, and Americans who were listening were about to get some shattering news. On the American frontier with the Weston family and Donald Boone in the exciting days following the American Revolution. We interrupt this program to bring you a special news bulletin from CBS World News, a press association has just announced that President Roosevelt is dead. The 32nd President of the United States, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the first and only president elected to four terms in office, had died. The president died of a cerebral hemorrhage. All we know so far is that the president died at Warm Springs in Georgia. A cerebral hemorrhage, a stroke the president's unexpected death was an earthquake to the nation. But perhaps it really shouldn't have been unexpected. Roosevelt was in Georgia on the orders of his doctor as a treatment for exhaustion. And the country had been watching his health decline over more than a decade as he guided the nation through the Great Depression and World War II. The polio survivor had cardiovascular disease, and in the months before his death, during a stay at Bethesda Naval Hospital, he was diagnosed with hypertensive heart failure, told to cut the salt, and prescribed digitalis and phenobarbital. That's pretty much all they had to offer back then. Now today, Roosevelt's blood pressure would be a big waving red flag. When he took office in 1933, it was 140 over 100. That's not great, but by the time the U.S. entered World War II, it had spiked to 188 over 105. Was that bad? His doctor thought it was okay. Honestly, no one really knew. And when Roosevelt died, his blood pressure was 300 over 190. I think maybe the only real surprise here is that the president didn't have a stroke sooner. And Roosevelt wasn't the only American killed by a disease doctors really didn't understand, with often lethal outcomes they had no idea how to prevent. By 1948, 44% of all deaths in the United States were the result of cardiovascular disease. The president's death was one of those splash of cold water moments that galvanized the nation toward finding answers. Doctors knew they had a deadly epidemic on their hands, and if they were going to fight it, they were going to have to start learning about it. They were going to have to study it. They would need to study it for a long time. And perhaps they could study the same people for years as they aged and as their lives and their health changed. That type of study is called a longitudinal study. It's the kind of study that can change how we understand the nature of disease, the factors that put a person at risk for developing a disease, 
and how these factors may interact to contribute to the development of other diseases. Roosevelt's death would lead to a trailblazing, now 75-year-old longitudinal study called the Framingham Heart Study, a study that revolutionized our understanding of cardiovascular disease. And that study would inspire hundreds of other studies and an ambitious plan for 2023 right here in San Antonio, a plan that could deepen our understanding of diseases of the heart and the brain for all people. Let's dive in. From Texas Public Radio, this is Petri Dish. I'm Bonnie Petrie. Back to the middle of the last century. The story we want to tell you today is really sort of a detective story, and it has a complicated plot. The killer is cardiovascular disease, heart failure, as some of us call it. The victims or potential victims are you and me. That's Eric Severide of CBS News. These volunteers are being checked and studied before they develop heart trouble. In time, half of them may be expected to get it in some form many of them to die of it. With many of history's killers, particularly infectious diseases like smallpox, diphtheria, and cholera finally under control in the mid-20th century, cardiovascular disease became public enemy number one. It was the leading killer of Americans, had the audacity to take down an American president, and killed nearly one out of every two Americans who weren't the president. It's not a reflection on our doctors or hospitals. Probably our mode of life and our diet are involved. But the trouble is, we just don't know enough about it. So it became a national mission of sorts, a moonshot before the moonshot, to learn about it, to study it, to defeat it. Mr. Barry is about to have an electrocardiogram taken, recording the action of his heart while relaxed. He will later be subjected to physical exertion and his heart tested under those conditions. V2. What are you going to work on? Uh, No breakfast. It surely was. Ready for me, doctor? Sure am. In 1948, Three years after Roosevelt's death, President Harry Truman signed into law the National Heart Act, establishing the National Heart Institute. The act also included a half million dollars, that's more than six million dollars in today's money, for a 20-year epidemiologic study of cardiovascular disease, soon to be called the Framingham Heart Study. But Framingham has gone on a lot longer than 20 years. So I have been working with the Framingham Heart Study in some capacity since 1993, initially as a trainee, a fellow, and then later as faculty and more recently as a senior investigator leading studies. That's Dr. Suda Seishadri, professor of neurology and director of the Glenn Biggs Institute for Alzheimer's and Neurodegenerative Diseases at UT Health San Antonio. It's considered the oldest continuing 
epidemiological study in the world as well as one that made landmark discoveries at the turn of the century when time magazine was saying top 10 sort of achievements in healthcare in the last century they picked framingham as one of them and why was that that's because the study began soon after world war 2 as we know you know churchill stalin roosevelt all died of strokes and heart attacks were very common so it was recognized that we need to understand and prevent this and they realized that the best way to understand and prevent is to start with healthy people and follow them through till they develop disease researchers set up shop in a town of about 28,000 people just outside of Boston, Framingham, Massachusetts, and enrolled 5,209 of its residents to have their vitals checked, their blood checked, to do interviews about their lifestyle, their activity and their diets, their jobs, their families. Folks enrolled because they wanted to make a difference back then. They felt like they were contributing to the public good and Boy, oh boy, were they. The first generation is almost entirely passed on now, and the second generation was recruited in 1971. This was around the time that some important findings like smoking is bad for you, a high cholesterol is bad for you. These flagship papers came out in early 70s about 20 years after the study had first begun. Things that I felt like I was born knowing that smoking is bad for you and that high cholesterol is bad for you. This was news to my parents' generation who would also get a chance to contribute to Framingham. The second generation that was recruited were children and husbands and wives of the children of the original cohort and the third generation that is grandchildren were recruited around 2000 and they have been followed for another 20 years. It's impossible to count the number of studies that have been done using the information gathered from the good people of Framingham over the last 7 decades that have helped us understand that 188 over 105 is not a healthy blood pressure and that there is more that can be done for heart disease than, you know, take a phenobarbital and call me in the morning. And then researchers realized they could use this treasure trove of data to explore other diseases. Yeah, it began as a heart disease and stroke, you know, so atherosclerosis study. Uh, but you can study everything, and in fact, Framingham at least has published landmark papers on osteoporosis, epilepsy, Parkinson's, cancers of different types, all kinds of uh, heart disease-related measures like heart attacks and heart failure, and there are also studies of uh, osteoporosis. arthritis of rheumatoid arthritis lung disease sleep in fact we have one of our investigators here who is leading some of the studies of sleep dementia study began around 1974 and there have been a ton of important findings in that area in the last year alone a researcher in san antonio has concluded using framingham data that obesity and genes that put a person at risk for dementia are linked and that fish oil can help you delay dementia once we comprehensively study a group of people we also find patterns between 
um, diseases that you may not otherwise readily find. Longitudinal studies are invaluable. The best way to understand what causes disease is not to study people who have an illness, but to study a group of normal people, some of whom get the illness and some of whom don't. And then we can say, what is the difference between those who got the illness and those who didn't, which will tell us how to prevent. And what we want to do is prevent. But Framingham, for all of its amazing contributions to our understanding of health and disease, has one pretty glaring limitation. So they picked the town of Framingham, about 20 miles from Boston, relatively stationary population and fairly representative in terms of socioeconomic status at that time. But diversity then meant that you were English and Scott and Dutch and uh, Italian and Irish. The population enrolled in Framingham is overwhelmingly white. So in 1979, some researchers in San Antonio decided to start filling that information gap. When Petri Dish continues... Two-thirds of our participants in the San Antonio Heart Study were Mexican-American, Hispanics. And so we blazed the trail, I would say, the San Antonio Heart Study, for looking at Hispanics. We'll talk about that 1979 study and the research it's inspiring today. So now the idea is that we want to go back to the original study, the San Antonio Heart Study, and uh, invite survivors to participate in a study that will be focused on uh, neurological brain health. Stick around. Support for the Petri Dish Podcast comes from Dr. Lisa Ochoa and the SAVE Clinic, providing comprehensive vascular care with a team of three surgeons at seven locations. Office vascular circulation screenings and amputation prevention services at thesaveclinic.com. This is Petri Dish. I'm going to say some numbers, and when I'm through... Repeat them to me exactly as I said them. Two, one, eight, five, four. Two, one, eight, five, four. This UT Health San Antonio researcher is administering what is known as a digit span test. It tests cognitive function. Now I'm going to say some more numbers. But when I'm through, you must repeat them to me in the backwards order. Seven, four, two. Two, four, seven. It's part of a battery of tests doctors can do to look for indications of mild cognitive impairment. I'm going to give you a category, and I want you to name as fast as you can all the things that belong in that category. For example, if I say articles of clothing, you could say shirt, tie, or hat. Remember former President Trump's person, woman, man, camera, TV moment? 
Well, that was a similar type of assessment that screens for signs of dementia. In the United States, according to the Population Reference Bureau, more than 7 million people aged 65 or older had dementia in 2020. If current demographic and health trends hold, more than 9 million Americans could have dementia by 2030, and that number explodes to 12 million by 2040. But what if there was some way we could prevent that? Prevention means we have to study both normal and people at risk and follow them. Longitudinal studies, Dr. Suda Seishadri says, like the Framingham Heart Study and the San Antonio Heart Study. The San Antonio Heart Study began around the same time as the Framingham Offspring. And in the early days, there have been some joint papers uh, looking at, say, diabetes in Framingham and San Antonio. Dr. Helen Azuda is an expert on cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and aging at UT Health San Antonio. And she is one of the people behind the San Antonio Heart Study. The study began in uh, 1979. And at that time, it was not well known what were the differences in the risk factor profiles for either diabetes or cardiovascular disease. What was the difference between Mexican-Americans and European-Americans? So the heart study was undertaken to answer this question, uh, looking at ultimately at incidence differences in the incidence of diabetes and cardiovascular disease between Mexican-Americans and European-Americans. So that study went from 1979 to 2005, actually, with various stages. Like Framingham, the San Antonio Heart Study enrolled about 5,000 people. And what we did was purposefully sample uh, Mexican-Americans and European-Americans from three types of neighborhoods, uh, a barrio, virtually all Mexican-American and lower socioeconomic status, what we called a transitional neighborhood, which was more middle income and it was about, at the time, 60% European-American. I like to say that instead of non-Hispanic white. That's just my preference. It's the same thing. Uh, and 40% Mexican-American. And the bar, the suburbs, which at that time were about 90% European-American and 10% Mexican-American. The design of the San Antonio Heart Study would allow it to fill some gaps in knowledge left by Framingham, even though that study had started to diversify a bit. But a full two-thirds of the San Antonio Heart Study participants were Americans of Mexican descent. This is a unique study because it actually looks at Mexican-Americans who are high socioeconomic status, intermediate, and low. And we felt that we wanted to have a good representation of that spectrum, and we could actually look at differences between Mexican-Americans in those three settings. And for the two uh, transitional and suburban neighborhoods, we could compare Mexican-Americans to European-Americans. The San Antonio Heart Study results related to diabetes were interesting. Mexican-Americans were far more likely to suffer from the disease. So in men, the prevalence in Mexican-Americans was 11.1, and in European-Americans, 4.5, to uh, well over two, close to three. And in women, 
uh, it was 12.7 in Mexican-American women and only 4% in European-American women. So there was almost a threefold difference, not quite, two and a half to three in diabetes prevalence. Cardiovascular disease was surprising in a different way. And it turned out that in men, age-adjusted prevalence of cardiovascular disease was 30% less in MA men than European-American men. But in women, there was no significant difference, and it was slightly higher in uh, European-American women than in Mexican-American women. So that was an interesting finding. The cohort gathered in the 1979 study was between the ages of 25 and 64, and they participated until 2005. Then research moved on. But like with Framingham, there was a ton of information gathered over time on these specific individuals. So what if, and just hear me out here, what if they got the cohort back together? Now, in 2023, the youngest participants were 25 then, now they'd be 69. What if they gathered the San Antonio Heart Study participants and started studying them again? Enter a new generation of scientists. Yes, so my name is Claudia Satisabal, and I am an assistant professor at UT Health San Antonio. Remember a few minutes ago when I mentioned a San Antonio researcher who'd concluded using Framingham data that obesity and genes that put a person at risk for dementia are linked and that fish oil can help you fight dementia? That's her. (laughs) She'll also lead a new longitudinal study, the San Antonio Heart and Mind Study, or SAMS, using the San Antonio Heart Study as a springboard. So now the idea is that we want to go back to the original study, the San Antonio Heart Study, and invite survivors to participate in a study that will be focused on uh, neurological brain health. Yes, they'll evaluate participants' cardiovascular health and how it's changed across the lifespan, but they're also going to expand into the study of Alzheimer's as well as other dementias and cognitive impairments. Why? Well, there's a big ethnic knowledge gap in that area, too, even though Hispanics have a much higher risk for Alzheimer's disease and cognitive impairment than do non-Hispanic whites, according to Dr. Hazuda. And this is an opportunity to be able to look at the, uh, you know, by, by recontacting people who participated in that study, and by, we can then look at what their circumstances or risk factors for this disease were in mid and late later life. And then we can look actually now at sophisticated ways of measuring uh, their brain health. Azuda will bring her deep well of San Antonio Heart Study knowledge and experience to the new study working alongside Sadizabal, who says they have a common goal. So our goal is to better understand what are the factors contributing to the disparities in dementia and cognitive aging among Mexican-Americans. We know there are many things and many risk factors that are more common in Mexican-Americans that may predispose to or increase the risk in this population. 
that we want to understand what are the most important factors and can we do something about it. We want to put the information out and we want to provide enough knowledge so that we can start influencing policy. And really, Sadi Zabal says, you don't understand a disease that affects all humans if you don't study that disease in all humans. Yes, no, that is exactly right. And we are just, you know, getting information from a very limited source. We want to understand the whole heterogeneity and the complexity of the disease, also especially because these things affect mostly people who are underrepresented, which is crazy. Like, why aren't we studying people who are most affected? And to really give tailored recommendations and solutions. So, yeah, it's, you know, we're just understanding a tiny bit. And if we are more diverse, we'll start understand much better and create things that work for everyone at the end of the day. So Satisa Paul says the San Antonio Heart Study provides a time capsule that will allow her team to understand what happened during a participant's midlife and how that may have impacted brain aging over the long term. It is very hard to collect that type of information. And that is why this study is so precious, because we are going to be able to understand with a life course approach, how to age well and how to keep our brains healthy. And that's the ultimate goal for most of us, right? A healthy brain for as long as we can maintain it. Every medical breakthrough in history has required a study. Let's get in the Wayback Machine. Back in 1796, Edward Jenner had a question. Could a cowpox infection protect a human being from a far more dangerous smallpox infection? He decided to see if he could learn the answer to that question by testing his theory. So Jenner scratched a little bit of pus from a milkmaid's cowpox pustule into the arm of a child named James Phipps. Then Jenner watched as the boy got sick with cowpox, then recovered. Then to see whether cowpox infection protected a person from smallpox, old Jenner exposed little James to smallpox which at that time killed 20 to 60 percent of those infected and disfigured a lot of the rest of them. But James did not get sick, and we were on our way to a smallpox vaccine. That was a study. I didn't say old-time studies were, you know, ethical, but Jenner's cowpox test would ultimately save countless lives. Just to reassure you, over the last seven or so decades, a strict code of ethics has finally been developed for clinical studies, thank goodness. And the folks at the San Antonio Heart Mind Study are looking for participants in the original 1979 study to enroll in the new study. If that's you or someone you know, reach out to UT Health San Antonio. 
If that's not you, you can get on your local university's website if they do research and see how you can pitch in. They can always use your help. This episode of Petri Dish was produced by TPR News Director Dan Katz, Jacob Rosati, and me. Jacob Rosati also composed all the music and created the sound design for this show. Petri Dish is a production of Texas Public Radio. I'm Bonnie Petrie. Talk to you soon. <laughs>